Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, our church around the world celebrates the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross. It used to be called the Triumph of the Cross. Now, if you're living in ancient Rome, in the Roman Empire, during the first century, during the time of Christ, you would say, this feast is incredibly bizarre to celebrate. In fact, you would say celebrating it is insane. It's crazy. Realize, the Roman Empire in the ancient world, especially during the first century, developed the cross and crucifixion. Crucifixion and the cross was an instrument of pain, extreme suffering, and death. People died on the cross. When you were put on the cross, the only time they would take you off is when you're dead. Realize, they didn't just put you on the cross for a few hours. You suffered enough and they said, okay, you know, you've done suffering. We'll take you off. No. When you mounted the cross, you were never coming off until you died. And it was an excruciating death. Now, also re realize that people died on the cross not from blood loss. You might first guess that. In fact, the other thing that's interesting to note, many of the people that were crucified were not nailed to the cross like Jesus Christ. Instead, they were simply tied to a cross. Their death was very slow and painful. People who were crucified on the cross essentially died from suffocating, from the weight of their own bodies. Realize just after a few hours as you're hanging on the cross, your body begins to droop downward. So in order to take a breath, you have to arch your back in order to expand your lungs to let the air come in. Well, after several hours or even several days, that becomes incredibly painful, such that after several hours or even days, you can't do it anymore. And so you literally suffocate under the weight of your own body. And so death was very slow. Normally, when people were crucified, it took two to three or even four days for them to die. Recall the passion that we read on Good Friday. As Jesus dies on the cross after just three hours, the soldiers go back to Pilate to report to him. And it said Pilate was amazed how quickly Jesus died. Well, three hours is a very short amount of time. It was uncommon for people to die that quickly on the cross. That's why he was so shocked by it. Now, the Romans invented the cross and the crucifixion as a means of executing the worst criminals. And it was prevalent throughout the Roman Empire for hundreds of years. The Romans essentially executed or crucified people specifically at the entrance gates of any Roman city, town, or village. And they did that deliberately. They wanted to send a clear and unambiguous message to any visitors of that city, town, or village. This will happen to you if you do not abide by Roman law. 
And so you could say it was somewhat of an effective deterrent to crime. Now, the cross had severe repercussions for our early church. The first few centuries of our early church, as it was growing and developing, the cross was never used as a symbol of faith. In fact, early Christians repelled from the cross. The cross was not depicted on murals or artwork. It was still fresh, you know, in people's minds as they reflected upon not just Jesus dying on the cross, but also all the martyrs. We have to remember, Jesus wasn't the only Christian that died on the cross. Most of the apostles died on the cross. Throughout the first 300 years of our church, our church was persecuted. Most of the popes were crucified. Thousands of martyrs were crucified on the cross. See, these Christians remembered that. That's why they repelled from the cross. It was a terrifying thing for them to even think about, using it as a symbol of faith as we do today. Today, we wear the cross as a necklace and a chain, maybe earrings. We have the crucifix maybe in our house, in classrooms, at school. The early first Christians, they repelled from the cross because they knew what it did, what it did to Jesus Christ, our Savior, and what it did to their family and their friends. But later on, centuries later, through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through study and prayer, The early church fathers came to grips with Christ and the cross and what he did with it. And so it begs the question again, why? Why do we celebrate this feast? Why is the cross, which was once an instrument of pain, suffering, and death, now becomes the central symbol of our faith? Well, I think the answer can be found in the second reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, this is a short passage, but nonetheless, it's powerful and very eloquent. Notice how Paul begins. He says, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped at. Now, that's very interesting. Grasping. Where do we see people in the Bible who want to be equal to God, who want to be gods themselves, and grasp at something to do that? Well, Adam and Eve, the story of the fall of grace. Remember, Satan, in form of the serpent, he says to Adam and Eve, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is because if you do, you're going to be like him. You're going to be God's yourself. And he doesn't want that to happen. He wants to keep you down. And so Adam and Eve are duped by that. They believe in this lie. And now they look upon God and they no longer see God as a friend, but instead as a rival. They become jealous and envious of God. They want to be gods themselves. And so in that act of grasping for that fruit, they want to be God themselves. And yet what happens? In that act of grasping, they usher in original sin. And therefore, friendship with God is broken. And now Jesus comes into this world. And this is what Paul is alluding to here. Jesus comes into this world and he reverses that momentum of sin. That's why Paul says he did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped at. See, Jesus comes now and he reverses that momentum that first began with Adam and Eve and the fall of grace. He enters into this world and he doesn't see the Father or the Holy Spirit as rivals. He's not jealous or envious of them. 
God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in love and power and grandeur and majesty. And out of love for us and for the Father, Jesus, the Son, accepts the mission to bring God's love into this world, especially to those who feel furthest away from it. See, remember the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He says to the Pharisees, I've not come for the righteous. I've not come for those who do not need a physician. I've come for the sick and the sinners. Now, every time I hear or read that passage, I feel really good. Why? Because I'll be the first to admit it. I'm a sinner. And therefore, Jesus came to save me, as well as all of us. And so, Paul talks about that from the very beginning. But notice what he says towards the end. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Well, on the cross, Christ battles, you could say, the final and the greatest enemy, death itself. There's that famous quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, When Jesus mounted the cross, he entered into close quarters combat with death. Well, that is so true, isn't it? You know, the very act of mounting the cross, Jesus turns the instrument of death and destruction, an instrument that once represented, you know, all the powers that used to govern this world, the powers of fear and oppression, sin, hatred, and the ultimate power, death itself. Before Jesus Christ came into this world, death had the final say over us. There is nothing past death. And yet, now as Jesus mounts the cross, again, he reverses all that momentum. And now the cross becomes an instrument of redemption, salvation, self-sacrificing love. See, the cross no longer represents the old powers that used to govern this world. Sin, oppression, hatred, death. Now the cross represents everything that governs this world now. Christ, our relationship and our life that we share with him and his teachings and the teachings of the church. See, that's why the cross now becomes the central symbol of our faith. The cross, which was once hated and feared by the early Christians, now through Christ, it's reversed. It becomes a symbol of great self-sacrificing and self-emptying love, especially for those people who feel furthest away from it. It's a symbol now of our liberation from sin and death. Now, I would argue the cross still has a destructive element associated with it not in terms of pain or suffering or death, but I would argue the destructive nature associated with it is in terms of the destruction of hatred, sin, and death. Now, our church celebrates this feast of the exaltation of the cross, but we also have to realize we participate in this feast. Every time we make the sign of the cross, we are reminded of Christ's self-sacrificing love as well as our redemption and salvation. From the very beginning of our life, the cross became a symbol of our life with Christ. Think of it, baptism. Most of us are baptized when we're infants, you know, just a few months old. The very first part of the rite or the ritual of baptism, the priest says to the child, to the infant, I claim you now for Christ by the sign of the cross. And now, I trace that cross on your forehead and ask your parents and your godparents to do the same. 
And so at the very beginning of baptism, we trace the sign of the cross on the infant's forehead, recognizing the cross now has claimed this child as one of Jesus Christ's adopted brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the Father. And yet the cross continues to be an active symbol in our lives. What do we do at the very beginning of Mass? The very beginning, we sign ourselves with the cross, don't we? We say, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we invoke all three persons of the Holy Trinity as we begin Mass and pray. Look at our sacraments. They're stamped with the sign of the cross. Anointing of the sick, confirmation. You know, we take the blessed oils and we draw the sign of the cross on the people's forehead. Throughout our lives, the cross becomes a reminder of Christ's self-emptying love. And yet at the same time, it demands a response from us. We now have to be a living extension of that self-sacrificing love that Jesus once demonstrated for us as he mounted the cross. How do we do that? Well, through stewardship. By sharing our time, our talent, and our treasure, we now serve God and others in this world. We now become an instrument of sacrifice and love, love that Christ first showed us as he mounted the cross. Now through stewardship, we become a living extension of that self-emptying love that Jesus showed when he mounted the cross. And now we bring the love of Christ to people in this world that we serve, especially those who feel furthest away from that love. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.